Other People's Flowers is a podcast for stories, poetry, and essays. Thank you for listening. This week's work comes from Lazarus Trubman. Lazarus is a college professor of linguistics and philology who immigrated to the United States from a small town in the former USSR in 1990 after experiencing firsthand the hospitality of the Committee of State Security, the KGB in common parlance. He taught languages and European literature at several colleges and universities for nearly 22 years. In 2017, he settled in North Carolina to dedicate his time to writing. Kind and slow-witted Carpathian Spring And then came spring, kind and slow-witted, like an unripe girl. During the night in the fields, dirty grey snow rotted reluctantly with a melancholy sigh. Near the river, in the wide crowns of the poplars, something was clearly bursting with a quiet, jubilant sound. Pew! The river carried away the ice, but the larger ice floes glittering in the sun still scratched the stony banks with its slippery bellies, showing dirty bluish faces when trying to crawl out on the land in the bends of the river, raking aside the pebbles and swimming further to die. Crazy light breeze whirled around turning heads. In the evening people became kinder. In the backyards men started the fire for shish kebabs and hearty stews. It was thoughtful in the warm air. The day had been lived through. Leisurely conversations were carried on in a quiet manner, interrupted now and then by sudden silences. It was ripe time to rest your soul and your body, to light a cigarette, to grumble at your fate, to fall to thinking about who knows what, that maybe your life could have been somewhat different, a bit better possibly. In one of those kind, thoughtful evenings, avoiding the main roads, Stefan Radu came to his village. At the edge of the forest, he sat down on a huge stone, warmed by the daily sun, and inhaled deeply. He had walked all day and was dead tired, couldn't take his eyes off the village. After a while, he got up and went home. Marianne Radu, Stefan's father, rummaged in his shop was fixing the shaft for his light carriage. It smelled of pine shavings, cigarettes and cooled plank walls. Marianne screwed up his eyes and swore tenderly when the plane hit a knot in the wood. And then, in the door opening, appeared his son, Stefan. Hello, Dad. Marianne Raddy raised his head, looked at his son in silence, then blew his nose through one nostril and wiped it with the hem of his sateen shirt, as women do. Stefan. Is it you? he asked uncertainly. Who else? Don't you recognise me? Huh? I just thought I imagined it. Stefan approached his father. They hugged, tall, strong, the father a bit round-shouldered, and stood still for a while. Marion Radu was the one who broke the silence. We were expecting you in fall at the earliest, right on time for some hunting, he said. I know, they let me go earlier. Good behaviour, I guess. God's a great fella then, right? Marianne Radu was glad to see his son in good health. Didn't know what else to say or to do. Borsoi is still alive, informed finally. 
hit the 15-year mark, but still barking and kicking. Stubborn little bastard, huh? Stefan was glad to see his father too. Where is he? Running around somewhere, bothering chickens and little dogs. On Saturday, something got into him. Women hung out the linen to dry. He tore almost everything to pieces. Stopped only after I shot a few in the air. Naughty little fool. Wanted to shoot him too, but then thought you might feel hurt by it. They occupied the joiner's bench, lit two cigarettes. Everyone's healthy? asked Stefan. Most of the time. How was it in prison, though? Not bad, you work all day. In a mine, I suppose? No, actually. Those with experience cut the trees. Stefan paused for a moment. I was assigned to manufacture coffins. Easy time. Need plenty of these, don't they? They do sometimes. I see. Marianne Radio exhaled a huge stream of smoke to the side. I hope your stupidity is all used up by now. Nah. Stefan made a wry face. That's not the point, Dad. You all think that you're smarter than your parents. It is the point. Marianne Radu shook his blended cigarette-stained finger at his son. Don't let your fists do the talking all the time. You've got your mouth for that. Let's go in the house, said Stefan. It's all in the past, isn't it? Your deaf sister, believe it or not, almost got married, said Marianne Radu, getting up. She did not. Came home once from the club and signs to me. I'm going to bring my fiancé on Saturday. Just like that. And I say... I'm going to show you such a fiancé right now that you won't be able to sit on your behind for a week. Maybe you shouldn't... What do you mean I shouldn't? Some smart-ass decided to get under a young woman's skirt and chose someone easy to deal with. Who needs a deaf gal for a wife? So I said, I'm going to show you such a fiancé... Maybe he was serious, Dad. At that moment, on the porch, appeared the bride, a big girl of 23. Saw her brother, threw up her hands, grunted happily. She had clear blue, like forget-me-not flowers, trusting eyes that disarmed Stefan every time she looked at him. Meme, meme, she kept grunting, while waiting for her brother to come closer. And she was so genuinely happy, standing on top of the freshly painted porch, that involuntary tears turned up in both men's eyes. Enough of that meme, meme, Marianne Radu said angrily, and shuffled his palm over his eyes. Waited for you drew little crosses on the wall, counted how many days were left till your return, he explained. Loves everybody like a fool. Stefan frowned, went up the stairs and hugged her awkwardly. She seized hold of him and began kissing him on the cheeks, forehead and lips. All right, all right, resisted Stefan. Her continuous kissing made him uncomfortable, but at the same time he felt happy too and just couldn't push her away. Look at you, he muttered, somewhat embarrassed. Come on, enough of that. Let her, said Marianne Radu, and wiped his eyes again. Missed you a lot. Don't you see? While you've been away, she marks every day on the calendar. Stefan finally freed himself of her embraces. So how are things? he asked. Good, she signed with her hands. She's always good, said Marianne Radu, getting up the stairs. Let's go inside and gladden your mother, son. As soon as they walked in, Stefan's mother began crying. Good gracious, heavenly father, she lamented. You finally heard my prayers. They finally reached your ears. Everyone felt not quiet themselves. Why are you crying, mother? Marion Radu asked in a strict tone of voice. He's here a little bit earlier. Just be glad, okay? I am, aren't I? Stop crying, then. Stefan's mother wiped her tears with a handkerchief. Are you healthy, son? she asked. 
Maybe they let you go because you're ill or something. No, mother, Stefan assured, strong as a horse, good behaviour. That's all it was. Soon the house was full of neighbours and relatives. Elena Cadden, a young, smooth woman with a kind, round face, was the first one to run in. Began talking excessively fast and chaotically. I just looked out the window to check on the mailman and saw you. Didn't believe it at first, even looked again. Heavenly Father thought it's Stefan of all people. Stefan smiled. Hi, Elena. She entwined her hot arms around her good-looking neighbour, clung with her starved, widowed lips to his, cracked, permeated with the smell of tobacco and step wind, then let go for a quick moment and kissed again, softly this time, with a fleeting smile. You're hot as a stove, said Stefan. Got married? Married? Where are they, those grooms? Two and a half men in the whole village. And how many do you need? Five? Maybe I was waiting for you said Elena, laughing loudly. Why don't you shut up, young woman, and let us have a little talk with our son? Stefan's mother interrupted. Was it hard over there, Stefan? she asked. Nah, Stefan became thoughtful for a moment. It's not actually a bad life. Movies, for example, twice a week. Good ones, too. You can read a book in the library or just do nothing the whole evening. No one really bothers you. So they locked up a bunch of you in there to watch movies, Elena asked gaily. They're educating them, Marianne Radio answered impatiently, inserting some new brains in the fools' heads. That too, agreed Stefan, nodding to another neighbour. A lot of interesting men, believe it or not, quite a few real criminals, but some very educated, a couple of teachers even. What did they do? asked Marianne Radio. One, a famous engineer, as we were told, for some accident at work. Another, like me, broke a bottle with someone else's head. Maybe he's lying, doubted Marianne Radio. You can't lie in there, Dad. Everyone knows everything about everybody. How about food? asked Stefan's mother. I've heard some horrible stories about food in prison. Okay, I guess. Almost always enough, though. More people came in. Friends and acquaintances. It became too crowded in the Radu's small house. Stefan had to tell his stories again and again. Felt tired. Hugs and kisses and endless questions made him a bit tipsy. What about the security? asked someone. Tight, I bet. Not even. Lately, about 50 of us were commissioned to fix potholes in the roads. 50, and just three guards. Plenty escape, probably, huh? Not at all. There's no sense. While they were chatting, Stefan's mother and the deaf sister heated thoroughly the bathhouse, got the towels and clean clothes ready. Marianne Radu went to the grocery store and soon returned with two bottles of vodka and some dried fish. Someone brought a saucepan with beef stew, another a few bottles of beer. The festive occasion happened accidentally. No one was ready for Stefan's sudden appearance. When everybody finally sat down around the table, it was already dark, and slowly bright gaiety began to flare up. Everyone spoke at the same time, interrupting each other, laughing. Stefan was the centre of attention, turned left and right, willing to tell more stories, but no one was interested any longer. He didn't try hard either, was happy that people felt good, that he brought them together to chat and to laugh, to up the pleasure, he even began singing a song he learned in prison. Forgive me, mother, for all my faults, for not listening to your wise warnings. Oh, mother, mother, forgive your son. For a moment there, everyone quieted down, paying attention to the lyrics, but a minute later began talking and laughing again. The song obviously wasn't accepted and understood. Stefan tried a few more lines, but soon fell silent. Son, huh? Son, asked his mother. Are there many women in prison? Women? 
Enough, I guess. They're separated, though, and the land between the prisons is guarded heavily day and night. Now everyone was discussing the difficulties women go through being away from their families, and that could go on for a long time. What about their kids? A question came up. Probably take them to foster homes, was the answer. I wouldn't jail them, said one visibly drunken man. I would throw the skirt above their head and use a wide belt for a few minutes. It won't help. Take my word for it, objected Marianne Raddy. You whip a woman, she'll get even angrier. I did that to Stefan's mother a couple of times. She delivered me a deaf girl. What's the point then? Stefan, already pretty drunk, suddenly hit the table with his huge fist. I love you all, you ragged devils, he shouted. Missed you badly. In a corner, barely recognisable in thick tobacco fumes, sobbed an accordion. Someone prudent made sure that the accordion player was invited for the occasion. Everyone got up from the table. Women formed a circle and began walking round in time with the slow melody. Even Stefan's deaf sister got in the circle. Men pointed fingers at her and laughed, and she laughed too, was happy as always. Hey, Vera, yelled the same drunk man, why don't you sing as well? But no one listened to him, and he laughed at his own joke. Stefan's mother was telling some old woman. She just pushed me hard into the corner and kept pushing, and I asked as soon as I could finally breathe, is it good news or bad? And she whispered in my ear, it's all good, neighbour. The old woman shook her head. Did she? She did. Even repeated three times. All good news. Foretold, huh? Foretold, neighbour, no doubt about that. And then the door opened wide, and there he was, my Stefan strong and healthy, thank God. Good heavens, good gracious, whispered the old woman and wiped her teary eyes. Women dragged Marianne Radu into the circle. He thought for a moment and went on, tapping his heels, repeating, Om Papa Atta, Om Papa Atta and kept tapping so hard that the kitchen shuddered inside the kitchen cabinet. Light it up, Marianne, the crowd shouted. Your son's back. Move. Ataupa! Marianne kept saying and moving despite his tired, stooped back, which was impossible to straighten up after forty years of hard work at the joiner's bench, and his big, knotty hands hung heavily along his body. But he was so happy that he completely forgot about his sorrows and misfortunes, he waited for this day for almost five long years. At some point, Stefan elbowed his way through the circle. Come on, someone shouted, father and son, move. And they kept moving, kept hitting the wooden floor in time with the music. Look at Stefan, said the drunken man, lively bastard. Didn't he say that it wasn't so bad in prison? A lot of food, too. I never believed that. Atta, opa, Marianne Radu kept saying, trying not to fall behind his son. None of them was a good dancer, but they worked harmoniously together. No one remembered how the deputy appeared in the house. They just saw him talking to Stefan, then both went out. The rest of the villagers continued celebrating, assuming that the deputy stopped by to remind Stefan that he was supposed to come to the sheriff's department tomorrow morning. Only Vera seemed to be suddenly worried. But Marianne stopped her at once. Keep dancing. Stefan and the deputy, meanwhile, walked through the gate and stopped. What are you, stupid or something, neighbour? asked the deputy, making sure no one was listening. You only had three months left. I know. Got a cigarette? Here, said the deputy, and lit one for himself too. Want to go back for a minute to say goodbye? They'll notice anyway. Nah, not now. Let them have a good time a bit longer. Tell my family yourself tomorrow morning. After breakfast, though, okay? Three frigging months left and you escaped. The deputy seemed really astounded. You're the craziest and the stupidest son of a bitch I've seen in my life, and I've seen quite a few. Why did you do that, man? Stefan left his question unanswered, kept walking with hands in the pockets of his pants, recognising houses, gates and fences, inhaling the sharp spring chill that had been familiar since childhood. 
smiled thoughtfully. Why did you do that? the deputy asked again. Escaped? Just wanted to take a stroll through the village. Miss this place. Miss my family. Three months, shouted the deputy. But now you have at least three more years on top of that. That's all right. I've fortified myself. Can take a few more years easily. Stefan paused for a moment. You see, he said, the dreams about the village wore me out. Couldn't take it any longer. Isn't it beautiful here in spring? Yes, the deputy responded hesitantly. The rest of the way, both kept silence. Were you alone? The deputy broke the silence. Three of us, but we parted right away. As soon as they walked into the sheriff's department building, a fairly new red brick structure, the deputy began filling out the paperwork. Stefan occupied a chair next to the window, looked out, wasn't drunk any longer. Are you armed? asked the deputy, distracted from the paperwork. No. The two others. Did they also have three months left? About five years apiece. That makes sense. But what the hell were you thinking? Enough of that, Stefan said angrily. Just shut up and do what you have to do. The deputy shook his head, went back to the paperwork, but not for long. To tell you the truth, he said, I didn't believe it when they called me from the main office and was really surprised when I saw you and your house dancing. Thought, that's a mistake. It can't be that there are still such idiots left in this world. Stefan stopped listening, looked quietly out the window. The two others, they probably laughed at you, didn't they? Stefan kept quiet. The deputy glanced at him curiously. Can't tell by looking at you that you're so stupid, he concluded and went back to writing. A moment later, Vera walked in, stopped on the porch, looked frighteningly at her brother and the deputy. Men? Signed to no one in particular. What are you doing here? He asked. Men? Men? She kept grunting, pointing now at the deputy. What's that men about? Asked the deputy. I don't know. Vera approached the desk, touched the deputy on the shoulder, and, pointing at her brother, began explaining her question with a bunch of different signs. Well, said the deputy, he escaped from prison. Escaped, he pointed at the window. You see, normal people, they walk out the door when they're allowed to, but he jumped through the window. He paused. Now he's going to get three more years. He showed her three fingers. At least. Or more. Vera finally understood everything. Her blue, frightened eyes lit up with such inhuman suffering, such deep pain reverberated in them, that the deputy stopped short. Stefan, pale and still, looked at her. Tell him now that he is the number one idiot in the country, said the deputy, maybe on the planet. Vera exclaimed gutturally, rushed to her brother and hung on his shoulder. Take her away, Stefan asked hoarsely. What do you mean? The deputy was obviously lost. How? Take her away, you gutless rat, or I'll break your head with this chair. The deputy jumped up and pulled Vera aside from Stefan, but she kept grunting and shaking her head and clinging to him. Tell her that you weren't serious, that it was a joke. Take her away. The hell with all of you, yelled the deputy, dragging Vera to the door. He'll come back soon. I'll let him say farewell to everybody. He tried to explain in half an hour, right? He finally pushed her out. Man, she's strong, said locking the door from the inside. And it's all because of your stupidity. Stefan sat still, clasping his head with huge, wiry hands, looking down at some spot on the floor. The deputy slammed the folder with the unfinished paperwork. We're leaving right now. My jeep's in the back, he said. You're all a bunch of deranged people. Stefan got up and began walking in front of the deputy. 
and through the village, in the middle of the main street, stumbling on scattered potholes, walked his deaf sister, crying unstoppably. Thank you for listening to Other People's Flowers. Other People's Flowers is produced and edited by Hugo Gibson and Chris Kamalvutitam. If you enjoy the show, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating. If you'd like to have your work featured on the programme, please visit otherpeoplesflowers.com to see our submission guideline. Thank you.